90.1 Hope FM and hopefm.com. Well, that's the amazing uh, Bill Withers there. <laughs> And lean on me. And I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by uh, by Susie. Good morning to you, Susie. Good morning, yeah. Dad. You're very welcome to Hope FM. Um, now, Susie, that was that's a very appropriate track, I guess. Whenever we're going to be talking about Alcoholics Anonymous, because it's it's it's, the, I guess it is about leaning. And in order to lean, you have to sort of recognise, I guess, that you need to lean. And that in itself can be quite hard can't it? what was it like for you you know uh, in, in terms of the very very early days if you if we turn the clock back 25 years now gosh mm. it's a long time isn't it it is because you've been 25 years uh, uh, clean as, as it were but but before before the aa days what was life like for you yeah um it, with alcoholism it starts off as fun you know, it always starts off as fun. You don't do something because it's unenjoyable. You do it because it, it's, you know, colourful and music and entertaining. And and the social scene in, in London, and, and I used to travel a lot because I worked for an airline. Um, it was all, alcohol was very um, of the time, should we say, and acceptable. Um, so I didn't feel back then when I first started drinking in, when I was 16, 17, 18, working for the airlines, um, that it was socially unacceptable. But for me, um, not knowing that I have alcoholic traits back then, um, it was progressive in nature. And we discover when we understand about the disease um, that I had no concept that it was a disease um, and that it, it manifested in every area of my life, both mentally, spiritually and physically and the demise was that um you know i everybody would go out for a drink i would be in a, in a social environment but i would have a, an extra bottle in my handbag um and it, when i was at the bar ordering the drinks i'd have doubles and on the way back meeting my friends i would then literally drink that one have my you know coke and brandy in my handbag and then pour that into my cup you know, and that wasn't normal behaviour. But did people around you notice that maybe you were drinking a little bit more to excess? Well, not at first, definitely. Um, but it progressed um, because my behaviours became, you know, socially unacceptable. You know, I could either go from a deep depression to um, aggressive and hostile. And we call it in AA, you know, it's the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of um, scenario that all of a sudden you could be this wonderful person, a wonderful, productive member of society. And then within... I don't know, maybe an hour of your drinking. There is no cutoff point. You don't know when you cross the line. But that is something happens within you or within the alcoholic brain that you cross that line. I mean, in terms of being in control, because I guess a lot of people like to be in control, don't they? But but I guess there reaches a point where, although people may not want to admit <laughs> that they're not in control, they'll still maybe say to people, oh, it's okay, I'm in control, I can have a few, and you know, I, yes. I can stop, and there's not a problem with me. Yes. It's quite a common thing, isn't it? it? It's really funny that you should pick that up. I mean, one, I'm a control freak, um, that those that know me, but two, underneath control is fear. And that is why the two are kind of a, a double-edged sword. And that's why you're always in an, in an eternal conflict because you think that you have control, yet the reality is not only are you out of control, um, the terminologies that we use in Alcoholics Anonymous is that we're powerless. And without a power in your life, you have no power. 
Um, and that is the understanding is if we're powerless over our first drink and it's the first drink that does the damage you know most people think it's the third the fifth the seventh because you've already lost your way you've always lost your inhibitions but it's the first drink for us that does the damage and that's why we this is the program of total abstinence Um, as long as you don't pick up the first drink you can't get drunk now obviously going, going way way back there you were clearly not in a good place um out of control yes at, w- at what point did you yourself recognize i need help um <clears throat> i suppose it was um progressive um and for me personally um i was in my early 20s um i had been traveling around the world for quite a bit i'd come back and I was losing jobs. You know, I would go back to the travel industry, which I was in, I was a tour operator, and um, I kept losing jobs. Um, and I couldn't maintain, um, I was, you know, there are those that are functional alcoholics that can drink all their lives. But for me personally, I was, the cracks were beginning to show, uh, not only in the work environment, um, it was in relationships. I started having um, paranoia and going into psychosis, um, which for me personally is, you know, for a young, you know, 20 something is quite shameful. Um, There were others that would wet their bed on a regular basis. Um, Those I know when I do university talks have said, come up to me afterwards and said, you know, we wet our beds regularly and they're in their, you know, early 20s. And these guys are doing, you know, university graduates or students and and they feel ashamed. And I said, but this is part of the disease of alcoholism there's nothing to be ashamed of um for me personally the music um was a a great influencer in me and that would change the way i would feel so i would have music to get me up high and then i would be melancholy and and depressing music to to bring me back down and i would cry and cry and cry you know so it was a leveler for me Uh, but alcohol i always had to have it around me for me personally I felt it was a confidence booster because I felt so inadequate, insecure, quite vulnerable um, and often internally fragile. Yet that is not what I portrayed on the outside. I was loud. I was in your face. I was confident. I was everything but the truth. And alcohol gave me that. We call it the Dutch courage, but it was more than that. It was it gave me power. But of course, it is a common thing, isn't it? That even even without alcohol and even even without some of the problems that clearly you were facing at that time, sometimes people do put a bit of a front on and you say to them, "Hi, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. OK, yes. lovely. Everything's fine. You yes. know, uh, when uh, actually for many people, it's not really fine. It's just that they don't want to talk about the way things really are. Yeah. Did you know about what was your introduction to AA? Had you heard of them? So giving that kind of backstory of how it was for me and and kind of getting that visual, it got to a point when um, my paranoia took over. And um, I would have a lot of people have delirium tremors, DTs, where their hands shake constantly because they're withdrawing. Uh, For me, the paranoia, the mind was playing tricks on me constantly. Um, And I was you know, very edgy, very nervous, very um, full of anxiety. And, in you know, bring it back into today's society, anxiety and depression are, are top of the list, as is mental health now, thank goodness. It's been recognised. Um, so my mental health was in demise, really. And I would say that I was a nervous wreck. You know, I was a nervous wreck. And people around me could sense that I was not myself. 
Um, and fortunately for my, you know, my dad's a professional um, and they had looked in the front of the Yellow Pages back then, the days of Yellow Pages, mm-hmm. um, and there was the free phone number, the Alcoholics Anonymous number. And um, fortunately, this was in 1995, um, they made that call uh, to AA and and... I didn't quite get it immediately. That's the thing with AA, you know, the doors are always open, the arms are always outstretched for you. you so can, did your dad say, look, we can get you some help here? They had suggested, why don't you phone this number? And, and that's what I do today. I do, we call it a 12-step helpline. Um, and we always try to ask the actual alcoholic to phone us. Often I get the family members phoning in and they're saying, look, I've got my child, I've got my husband, or I've got my partner. But we want the individual to phone us because it shows their commitment they're taking that first step into the fellowship of AA mm-hmm. rather than a family member who obviously have to, has to pick up the pieces. Yeah, I, I used to get that a lot. Of, you know, I was director of the YMCA for a while okay. and, I, and I often get parents or, or relatives phone me up and really genuinely concerned about their loved one, you know. But, but I would often say to them, but if I were to talk to your loved one, if I, would they say to me, Blair, I really need help? Yes. And I guess that's what you're saying, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And I think the, the beauty of um, what we do is we share our experience, strength and hope. And through what I've gone through, and I was 26 when I came into recovery, which a lot of people can identify, you know, nowadays, that kind of era are drinking heavily you know it's the festivals now back then it was the rave scene the party scene um and it's just escalated obviously there's other you know situations that occur in in one's life it could be abuse it could be abandonment it could be loneliness it could be breakups of relationship it could be a whole spectrum of things especially with the pandemic which is what we've done we've tried to really step up a game and we've adapted brilliantly you know all of our meetings now um not now they've gone back to face-to-face meetings but during the lockdown you know we they did it zoom <laughs> we did the zoom meetings and and yeah. you know i ended up from a monday to a sunday i could do one in san san diego one in new york one in barbados you know i traveled the world even though i work for the airlines you know i happened to go to a different country every day again it was a miracle so, and, I, and i suppose that, that obviously alcohol challenges are no respecter of persons. I mean, you said about going into universities and schools and yeah. so on. But of course, from very young to actually quite mature people, it affects anybody, isn't it? Absolutely. I think that's, um, uh, and, you know, that's a shame, a shame aspect that people who are under a great deal of pressure um, pick up a drink because it tends to be the easiest thing to pick up. You know, and it's socially acceptable. Um, and yes, professionals and military and governments, it can be from anywhere. But for us in AA, we don't care what your background is. We just want you to you know, experience um, what we've all been experienced. And that is, we're, we're free from the disease, the, the concept of you don't have to pick up a drink one day at a time. 90.1 Hope FM and HopeFM.com to a baby's cry Well of course that's uh, Krista Burr there and uh, Spaceman came travelling we normally play that song at Christmas Susie and uh, but what a fantastic song and uh, uh, and again very special to yourself Yes indeed um yeah, for me, I suppose when that was playing and I used to look, look up in the skies and and the stars and think about 
how lonely I felt. I felt so alone. Um, and I don't know why. You know, I had two older brothers. You know, I come from a, a, a community where we integrate and we socialise. But there was something deep inside me that felt so, not abandoned, because, my you know, my parents were there. But it was an internal feeling. And that song evoked so much pain yet I could identify with that feeling. But it is true of course you can be surrounded by people mm-hmm. can't you and family and and people you know and still be very very lonely absolutely. that's what you're saying absolutely and, and, and for me turning to drink when I was kind of 14 when I had my first introduction to alcohol was a comfort and it took away that feeling of you know we, we say in our fellowship restless irritable and discontent and that's how I felt all the time like that irritability was like oh it was in my body it was like a, a poison brewing and bubbling and alcohol just it took the edge off that anxiety um, and, and the same in the pandemic today you know the amount of people that I've spoken to from doing 12 step calls and doing this 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 helpline which I'll give you all the numbers shortly yeah, get your pens ready folks yeah, <laughs> um, was hearing these people from all walks of life you know the university students to the little old lady in you know in in in, in the out in, in in Dorset, you know, we covered the Dorset area and she felt so alone. She was so miserable. She'd lost her husband through the pandemic and all she had was a bottle. And you, you could hear the despair and the desperation. She didn't want to drink, but she didn't know what else to do. And, and in that regard, phoning AA, you know, not only are we like a support network, but we have a we're, we're great listeners um, and we can guide you to do the next right thing, which is to abstain, get into the program of recovery. We work a 12 step program um, and and we're here to help. And, and if needs be now, the pandemic is over. We can meet people, you know, in Bournemouth Town Centre, take them to a meeting um, and, and we give our numbers and we become a really good network of people. Now, of course, you're speaking out of personal experience because although your dad was the one who first found the number eventually Susie you did phone that number I did can you remember can you remember doing that and and how you felt talking to somebody and then actually your first face to face was was that scary for you wow it was so overwhelming I mean the fear I was paralyzed with fear um and the 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 phone call that I made in London at the time, you know, it was an 0800 number, which is the one that I've got here. Um, the gentleman who I spoke to um, had said to me, you know, when you don't drink, um, do you still feel alone? Do you still feel, you know, that the, the voices are there, the paranoia is there? And it's like, well, no. No, I don't. I get on with my day. I go to work. I do whatever I'm going to do. And he said, well, have you ever considered that it could be alcohol is the problem? Not once did I ever think or feel or recognise that alcohol could be the problem. I thought it was me. I thought I was going mad. I thought I, I, thought I was just, you know, losing it, you know. And, and he said, well... And then he would explain to me that alcohol is a disease. Alcoholism is a disease that it manifests in our mind that it, it once you take that first drink, your brain cannot stop. So you cannot say no to the first drink and the brain 
becomes obsessive and compulsive that you obsess around that first drink. So it's a double-edged sword. You, you desperately want it. And once you pick up that first drink, it, it sets off a phenomenon of craving and your body craves the next drink. And it's like, you know, exactly the same thing. You could have a, a packet of biscuits in, in the cupboard. You have, oh, I just fancy a cup of tea and a biscuit, <laughs> watching an advert or watching TV or whatever. And for the rest of the, the evening, that, that packet of biscuits are talking to me and before I know it I've eaten the whole pack so it's a very similar kind of uh, craving that is lets off in our brain and until he actually explained to me that the alcohol was the problem it wasn't me I wasn't flawed you know I could be cured so when did you begin to relax when when did when did you begin to think you know actually this is really helping me and some for the first time in my life I feel as if People are listening to me and understanding me and so on. And, of course, you began the 12-step program. I, How long did, did it take you to to settle into it, as it were? It's a good question, really, Blair. Um, I, this, fortunately, this gentleman um, came down to Bournemouth um, the year later. And I, I went on, on, a, on a journey for a year with Spaceman Came Travelling. I went on a journey for a year and left the country, left England. And when I returned... I had got in a, a bad way again. And this guy was in this meeting that I'd gone to in, um, in, in London. And he had just said, he was still there with all the, all, all the other fellows. Um, and he had just said, look, I'm coming to Bournemouth. Um, why don't you come down, you know, come out of London? And, um, and fortunately for me, he took me to my first proper meeting in, in AA in, in Bournemouth. And I walked through the doors of that meeting. Um, I think it was in Hannington Road um, in Boscombe. And it was like something in my heart. I mean, I was petrified coming down because I had a big uh, rucksack on my back coming from London. Mm. And he picked me up from the station. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, you can just literally walk through the rooms of AA. But all these people were there, you know, and these people come from the streets. They come from some privileged, some not, you know, from homeless people, but they were all there under this kind of one umbrella of let's all try and get well together. And, you know, they made us a cup of tea and a biscuit and sat, sat ourselves down and we all talked about our experience, strength and hope. And that was the point. Probably, it probably took me three months because I, 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 you know, I did a 90 meetings in 90 days, which is what's suggested. Obviously, it's much harder when it was in the pandemic, but you could do the Zoom meetings. You could do 90 Zoom meetings in, in 90 days all around the world. But there was a point when I, I suddenly the, pe- the penny dropped. And, um, <coughs> and for me, it was the realisation that it's okay to be an alcoholic and the shame and the humiliation and the, the feeling of, um, oh, my goodness, what are people going to think of me? I'm an alcoholic. Uh, kind of turned and it was like, I have no shame. I have a disease. And then what it was is that I became educated around the concept of the disease of alcoholism. Now, you're coming back on on the programme because we've got limited time this morning at breakfast and, and you're coming back on the 15th folks if you want to hear more from Susie the 15th of September put in your diary in my community now show that's Wednesday the 15th Susie will be back again to share, share a whole hour with me and uh, we're going to give you some numbers in a moment and also you'll be very close because on the 13th of September you will celebrate 25 years uh, of being free uh, yeah. of, of, of alcohol 
As you look back now, Suzanne, for those of us who maybe either know people who are struggling with alcohol or maybe themselves have their own struggles, what is the thing that has sustained you for all these years? Uh, Well, for me, it's having a higher power in my life. It's got to be having a higher power. It's it's something that I can turn to in the depths of despair, you know, And, and all of us, I can only speak for me, but all of us do have moments when we doubt, when we're in fear, when we're lonely, when we're scared, you know, when there's a loss, there's a death. Um, there's a breakup of relationships. You know, I have children and I worry about their future. And however much I've got my fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they thank God the doors will always be open for me. You know, you have to rely upon a higher power to take you and to elevate you and, and to give you that sense of comfort. Because human nature is, unfortunately, we do let people down that that's human nature but by not putting all your eggs in one basket you know you can you can have a wonderful life in AA but for me a higher power and you can it can be anything you want it to be I mean for me I go to Engersbury Head I I walk the dogs up there I sit on the bench and I just pray you know and I for me it's mother nature it's everything that has been is beautiful it's the flowers it's the bumblebees it's it's whatever you want it to be Um, you know I do have fortunately a religious background but I'm but in AA my spirituality and my spiritual um, it's a spiritual program, you know. It's a we have that malady where we need something to turn to in times of desperation and despair. Um, so even if you do come from, so you're saying a Christian background or whatever it is, you can hold on to that belief system. You know, we're not here to change or alter. We're just here to enhance and encourage. Well, now the all important thing is to give those numbers out. So if if you know somebody, if you got a pencil or whatever pen or whatever, then you might want to write these numbers uh, down. Over to you, Susie, just to give us the helpline numbers. Thank you. I mean, we have a, a local Bournemouth number, which is 01202 296 000, and there's a national helpline number as well, which is 0800 9177 And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, if listeners want these numbers, they can, I'll, I'll leave them with you. Um, we also have, you know, you can email us as well at help at aamail.org. Um, and then we've got our own website. So if you want to look up local meetings, you can. We have daily meetings in in Bournemouth. You know, we cover, as I'm a public information officer, we cover mainly Bournemouth and Christchurch. But we do, you know, it does go out to Paul. It's, it's the whole of this country. We have meetings every single day. I'm, and all over the world. Absolutely. I mean, I was in London at the weekend celebrating and, um, you know, I went to a meeting there. You know, all, and if I feel alone, I can pick up the phone and phone just a, another fellow AA member. So I never have to be alone again. But it, this is the... Um, it's, it's www.alcoholicsanonymous- sorry, alcoholics-anonymous.org UK, but we'll leave these details with you. Absolutely. So. And of course, when, when all else fails and you can't remember, just Google AA, Absolutely. Alcoholics Anonymous, Absolutely. and all, yeah. the, all the information will, will be there. Susie, you're a delight. Susie will, will be back, uh, as I say, on the 15th of September for us to talk a little bit more. But this is Hope FM, and uh, 
there you are, sat and bubbly, <laughs> and as the communications officer, full of hope. So you yourself are an embodiment, actually, of how somebody who can be in a really, really dark place, and actually, here you are today, talking to me. <laughs> Would you have envisaged 25 years ago that you'd be doing this, Susie? Never, never, absolutely, never. And I'm quite, you know, even though I am vivacious and bubbly, I'm, I, I get... I'm shy, you know. You don't say. I know. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I'm shy myself. Actually, we were shy together. You yeah, know? <laughs> I find it you know overwhelming, and, and and I don't like the spotlight. So doing things behind the scenes and not seeing my face or anything, it means I can carry the message of hope. Um, and 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 help rather than despair and desperation. Ninety point one Hope FM and HopeFM.com.